0: between the lines with virtual academy we all have a story to tell hello and welcome to another edition of between the lines with virtual academy we are a podcast going beyond the bats to allow members of law enforcement public safety and first response a place to tell their stories and also talk about the cases that have impacted their lives how are you doing i'm your co-host brent Henson, and listen i know what's going to happen When you hear what today's episode is about, as soon as I say the word yoga, a lot of you are going to say, no, they're just going to tune out Is that that's not for me. How does this relate to law enforcement? And to be totally transparent, I've never tried yoga myself, but listen to me. I have talked with officers who have done yoga. I have heard testimonials from officers who have said it has changed their lives for the better, both mentally and physically. So today's guest is going to recount his story and explain how incorporating yoga has turned his life around. It's going to be very interesting. But before we bring him in, allow me to introduce our host, the top downward dog of this operation. He is Mr. Michael Warren. How are you, sir? Uh,
1: I I will be very upfront and honest with you, my friend. I'm a bit tired. And and we were talking before we were recording that uh, over the past 10 days, I've been home one and I've been on 10 separate flights, and so Ooh. I'm I'm dragging a little bit, my friend.
0: You are a man who's constantly on the go. You're in demand is what you are.
1: Yeah, well, as luck would have it, uh, as a result of it, you and I get to hang out for a little bit in person. Uh, next week, we'll be doing some work, uh, actually, uh, on the day that this, this episode will be released uh, in Shelby County, Tennessee. So I'm looking forward to seeing you and hanging out with the folks there.
0: It's so weird. We've done so many of these episodes and you and I and Aaron, we've only been in the same room. I think like two times, maybe it's just, we're always on these uh virtual recordings. So it's weird when we're actually in the same room together. Weird is a good word
1: for when we're all together, uh, but no, no more weird, I guess, really than, than our time that we spent before we start recording these podcasts.
0: Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> so I got to ask you up front, have you ever tried yoga? Because I, I, I say, I said, I've never tried it. I think the reason why is I'm a little uh, trepidation because I don't know where to start or what to do or how I'm going to feel. Or so, have you tried this before?
1: I have not, and I have. And, and to be very upfront, and I'll, I'll share my story with uh, w- with the listeners when we get there. But it's one of those things that that I wanted to do, but I mm-hmm. think the thing that that scares me most about it is it seems like they have their own language. And and when they start talking, when you see videos, it's like, I don't know what they're talking about. Well,
0: it's like runners, you know? Yeah. you, You speak a language once you get into that space and you can kind of relate. So you just have to immerse yourself in that culture. Hopefully today our guest
1: can kind of guide us along that little path so we at least have an understanding of what it is we're hearing. So yeah. uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce him and bring him out. Let's see if he can't help you and I out some. All
0: right. I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to hearing his perspective. Our guest today was a police officer for more than 20 years and worked for both Ocean City, Maryland Police and Salisbury, Maryland Police. During his law enforcement career, after a number of back injuries in 2008 and 2009, he started to incorporate yoga into his physical therapy routine. And after seeing the multiple benefits yoga provided for himself, He decided to channel that energy into teaching yoga to other first responders and public safety professionals. Today, he's a certified instructor specializing in working with those in the military and first responder communities. Please welcome to the podcast, the man who I hear was named 2022 Yoga Warrior. Mr. Vance Rowe, welcome to the podcast, sir. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you so much.
2: What a warm introduction that was. I love it. We try. It's amazing what the internet yields, isn't
1: it? Right, right. For our listeners, uh, you and I, uh, we, we met uh, a few years ago uh, at a trainer's conference in Ocean City. That's right. So so I want to start with you, if I could, kind of the way sure. we start with everybody. Uh, yeah. What was it, you know, at what point, what was the, the deciding factor that made you decide that a career in law enforcement was for you?
2: You know, there's, there's two things that really stand out in my, I'd say they're like middle school and high school age. And the first one is when I was in Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts, it was, it was one of those levels. I can't remember which one. We visited the Baltimore County police station in Woodlawn and I got to see kind of the behind the scenes. And I was like, Oh, this is super cool. Now I don't think at that moment I was like, Oh, I'm going to be doing this as a career. Uh, fast forward. I want to say I was in like high school and the movie, the fugitive came out and I was determined to be Tommy Lee Jones. I am like, I am going to join the Marshall's office and I'm going to hunt people down through the, this country. He was super cool, right?
0: He was pretty, he was pretty BA in that movie. Um, (laughs) Now,
2: what I will tell you is when I started in college, uh, I actually started working for the summers in ocean city and that started right after my freshman year in college i kind of got it kind of got in my blood i had already been to ocean city uh, you know hundreds of times before but the idea of working locally and working for a municipality i liked that idea more than federal so i changed my major from political science to criminal justice and i ended up uh you know going through the, the criminal justice degree. I actually did my internship with the Ocean City Police uh, through my college. Um, and then it just kind of worked out. I, I did go to Salisbury City for a very brief amount of time. That's who hired me initially. That's who I went through the police academy with. Uh, I worked for a year there before I uh, lateraled over to Ocean City, which really had been the goal all along. To go back to where I had started. Well, let's go back to the movie for a
1: second, because okay. after that movie right. came, because after that movie came out, uh, it actually was a very uh, big tool, um, perhaps unintentionally, for recruitment for the U.S. Marshals. Hmm. But a lot of people took the movie and thought that that's what all of their time with the marshals were going to be mm-hmm. like. And what most people don't realize is that half the year, you're typically doing f- fugitive apprehension type work, but the other half the year, you're serving as basically a federal bailiff in, in federal mm-hmm. courts.
2: And that's not what, what is reflected in that movie. That's not what I'm standing like right over the, you know, like standing at the waterfall about to like catch my fugitive, you know? That's really- I don't
0: care. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I want this. I only want the super cool part.
1: I, I had a friend that went on uh, a task force with the marshals and, and this is how he described it. He says, Mike, it's like our time when we were assigned to DEA, except you don't have nearly the paperwork because you're not making cases. You're snatching right. bodies. You know, the cases okay. have already been made. And I thought that that was a great way of describing at least the six months that you're doing fugitive stuff, probably not the other six months of the year. Right. You just got to grab them up. Absolutely. I love it. What was it? You, you said you were working for Ocean City some during the summers I was, uh, yep. of your college. And, and so why don't you give our, our, our listeners an idea of what Ocean City's like, because in many ways, it is, it's it's unique. Sure, sure,
2: sure. So for decades now, uh, Ocean City has hired summer police officers and summer cadets uh, to police this busy summer resort town. So we are a tiny little town on the East Coast, uh, and we, we sit literally just below the state of Delaware. Uh, but we can become Maryland's second largest state in the summertime because of tourism because people were coming down here and spending their summertime with us, maybe on the weekend, maybe over Memorial day, maybe over 4th of July. So while we have, I don't know, 20,000 people in town on any given like winter time weekend, we might have somewhere between three and 500,000 on any summer activity. So we need help uh, with our uh, police force. So at 19 and 20, I was a cadet. And what that meant is that I was a, a, a meter maid, essentially, uh, and I wrote parking tickets and then I uh, I helped direct traffic. And then when I became 21, uh, I went through our seasonal police academy and then I was a seasonal police officer for three summers. Uh, and my last summer was my internship summer. What, what So so for,
1: for folks who don't understand it, like me, your, your seasonal police officers, did they tend to be college students or was there another uh, – part of the population that tended to be those types of seasonal folks?
2: I mean, we will get some people that are not college students, uh, maybe that people that just came out of the military and they're looking to get law enforcement jobs. This lets them get uh, an incredible amount of experience in a short amount of time. Uh, A large majority are criminal justice students because that's how we recruit. We go to colleges. And later on in my career, that actually became my job was actually being like the recruiting coordinator and the guy that was going out and talking about it. Uh, So we get a lot of people that come out of criminal justice classrooms uh, and that's not necessarily just nearby. We get them from the state of Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Virginia. And then we get them from like 10 and 12 hours away up in the Northeast, maybe in sometimes in the Midwest, because you just can't do this other places. Uh, I'm going to
1: put you on the spot here. Okay. Because w- would it be safe uh, to say that perhaps the Ocean City summer program was a, the police version uh, of the fugitive movie? Uh, b- because w- w- you, you just described uh, you know what Ocean City's like during the summer, where you have hundreds of thousands of people, mm-hmm. and, and you know there's all kinds of stuff going on. I can only imagine when you have that many tourists that there's a lot of them that that misbehave. And that the traffic is just incredibly bad. But then so that's what they come into the ocean city with. and then they get hired as a full-time person and February mm-hmm. comes and February isn't anything at all. no, like like July was did some of them struggle with with that that transition from being that busy to that not busy? So
2: it's funny in the in the time where um, I was getting hired. Ocean City was hiring like one cop a year uh, on a full-time basis. And the chief of police at the time, uh, he kind of had a rule that you had to survive uh, an Ocean City winter to see if you would really stick around. Uh, And I mean, I got to tell you, I got done being a a summer cop in 2000 and I actually got a job at a gym. And then two nights a week, I was also working overnight security at a hotel. I mean, I was going to make a go of it. I I, you know, I like the area. I wanted to stay down here. I just I was just trying to land a police job. So that's kind of how I ended up in Salisbury City. It's funny how
1: that type of city influences everything in the city from the police department. I remember when uh, when we went to when I went to the conference, how cheap the hotel rooms were simply mm-hmm. because there wasn't a whole lot of traffic. So anything to get people there they were they were willing to do to get some some type of income going you end up with the the job that you wanted in ocean city Mm -hmm. you know when you came into ocean city what what were you hoping to do i mean what were you hoping to ascend to what were you hoping to get
2: involved with uh during your career uh as a police officer there man i had two goals when i when i got to ocean city i wanted to ride a bike all the time so i wanted to always be on a police mountain bike just I, I worked the boardwalk for, uh, every summer. Uh, and I even into my full-time career and I always just wanted to get around on a bike. I wanted to be on the full-time bike unit. And then I wanted to be on the SWAT team because I always looked at those guys as, um, listen, this is the best of the best. And so I want to be a part of that. So those are my two goals, uh, which I was able to achieve pretty quickly. Uh, so I got to, Ocean City in 2002, I was, I was on a bike immediately. Uh, I'd already been to bike school through uh, Salisbury City. Uh, and then it took me two years to get on the SWAT team. For our listeners who don't know what a
1: police mountain bike school uh, includes, because I also uh, went to that school and uh, it was actually put on by folks from the University of Michigan Police Department because they have such a big program there. I had to do things with
2: a bike. That I didn't even do on accident when I was a kid, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's a that's a tough school, and uh, the one that still I have nightmares about and it terrifies me was uh, riding down the district court steps. Yes, uh, I, so thank it, you. I
0: mean, I, I mean,
2: like I almost I was gonna say, st-
0: you're gonna have to expand on this. You? you piqued my curiosity.
2: I, I already, I almost, I almost fell off the back of that bike about six times just in that little short amount of time. That was probably like ten or twelve steps. All right, so bike school. It's not just like riding a bike up and down, you have to, some of the harder things that you need to do is you have to be able to ride through, uh, they make this cone box. And I want to say it's maybe five feet and then six feet. And you kind of work your way down. Like you start in the six foot box and then you work your way down into the five foot box and you have to make a complete circle. And what you really have to learn how to do is be able to look in front of your front tire. Cause if you look at your tire, you'll fall down. Um, so that's one of the harder things that you have to do. You have to ride up and down steps. So yes. they, they have, you have these like parts where you have to ride up three steps and then ride down, riding down's no, no problem. Riding up. I don't like it. <laughs> uh, jumping curbs, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. All right. So one of the guys that I looked up to as a summer cop, his name's Brett case. He is now retired. He was a detective when he left. Um, I watched this guy who was a former football player. He was a tight end at the university of Maine. Uh, I guess he got done in like 91, 92, somewhere in there. Uh, big dude. I mean like six foot six, uh, at the time, probably two ish. And he could stand on a bike and actually jump the bike up onto a boardwalk bench. (laughs) I mean like impressive and I'm not a small person, but I never tried that one. Because I would cripple myself probably trying to do that one.
1: It's funny. The things that you brought up were exactly the ones that I would have said. Learning how to apply brakes while still pedaling as hard as you can so you can do that low Mm -hmm. speed. It it, it was just my my mind was screaming at me. You're fighting against yourself. You're fighting against yourself. But that was what Mm -hmm. you had to do to get through the course.
2: Yep. Not an easy course. I don't want to do it again. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: when, I first got the, when I first got the shorts, you know, the undershorts that got the big pad mm-hmm. through there. You know, just getting yep. used to wearing that, I was like, oh man, this just feels weird right here. All the time.
0: CMI, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so we're really we're really pulling back the, the curtain here. I mean I had the I had the spandex ones and then I had they were actually built into my bike shorts too. I had double the pad because my God, ten to twelve hours on a bike. Whew. That doesn't feel good in the undercarriage. <laughs> the, the other thing that some people struggle with, and
1: shoot, I don't even remember what the name of it was, um, the, the little things on your, your your pedals that you put your feet into that it kind of locked it in there. Oh, the clips? So, you know, that's real mm-hmm. good for maintaining control of the bike while you're moving. Uh, but I remember watching one of our officers one night. They, they were trying to come to a stop. And they couldn't get their foot out. So all of a sudden, you just see them just mm-hmm. fall right right over on that. And, 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 you know, when you're when you're rolling up on people that are maybe breaking the law, that's probably not the
0: entrance that you want to have to get no, the respect right.
1: from them that you, you want. You that's know more I mean?
0: Police Academy, the movie, than actually coming from the Police Academy.
1: That's right. That's right. But it was entertaining. <laughs> it was entertaining for those guys, and it was entertaining for me. Not so much for the officer that was involved in that. What was the, the primary
2: use of the bikes uh, when it came to the department? What were they used for? Sure thing. So in the summertime, we have we really have two districts. We have a southern district, and the southern district works the, the south end of Ocean City, which is geographically not a very big area. And predominantly, that is handled by police bicycles. And then we have a geographically larger area, which is considered our northern district. And at the time, that was about 130 streets. And that was all handled by vehicles and stuff like that. So a lot of what I was doing was uh, peace and good order crimes, disorderly conduct, alcohol violations. Uh, we have a lot of local ordinances and things like that that we're asked to enforce. Uh, so that's really how I spent a good amount of my time. You have to be able, you, you have to be comfortable to interact in large groups of people, uh, and especially large groups of drunk people, because I worked from ten o'clock at night till eight o'clock in the morning for a lot of that. And I mean, ain't, ain't nobody sober at that point. It, it's a great tool, uh, but but it's also a tool that, that
1: perhaps some agencies use, but they don't train their people very well uh, because it requires different tactics. Yeah, it does. Uh, than, than if you've got a patrol car. I agree. Uh, I mean, with a patrol car, you've got some cover. If there ends up being some type of use of force with a bike, yeah. you've got a distraction. And I'm all for I'm all for those tools. I just think that as a profession and I'm not speaking about Ocean City, I'm talking about as a profession. We just need to make sure that our people are prepared to deal
2: with what they are likely to encounter when they use those tools. That's true. Uh, You are you are much more exposed uh, the entire time you're on that. Uh, You know, when you're in a patrol car, you're certainly surrounded by protection or or at least perceived protection.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. I, I did enjoy about the bike's. Was the the readily accessible ability to speak with people that you were going past or coming up on? We're in a patrol car. You have to go through, you know, rolling your window all the way down and slowing down because you typically are going faster. And it really did seem to get people, get our officers, closer to the public than perhaps those in patrol
2: vehicles. Yeah, it's true. That's that's why I really liked it. You could really interact with uh, with people an awful lot.
1: Now, now, when you talk about boardwalk, are, are we talking about like the traditional boardwalk with the, the pier
2: that goes out mm-hmm. over water? We do. Yep. So we have a pier that goes out uh, all the way at the south end of Ocean City. We have uh, a bunch of rides like a carnival atmosphere. And it has, you know, all the, the boardwalk foods like really good uh, thrashers, french fries and uh, different t- types of popcorn and candy. And stuff like that. And then as you walk up the boardwalk, all different kinds of shops, mostly like souvenir shops, t shirt shops, all that kind of stuff, that's right out on the boardwalk. So it's, it's, uh, I've, I've always heard people say that it's kind of like a carnival atmosphere that you have all the flashing lights and then you have the music. So it's, it's, it's just like a bustling, uh, kind of atmosphere that's going on. I mean, right up to like 12 or 1 o'clock almost every night, but you can, I'll tell you what, 24 hours a day, you will find somebody on the boardwalk. Well, well, and, and I guess that's where I, I guess I have a little bit trouble
1: understanding how, how hard it must have been for you to work there, because in my jurisdiction, we, we were the host for the Michigan State Fair. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was about a week period each year where we had that carnival type atmosphere in this geographically situated uh, place. And we use bikes a lot there because you can get through uh, a a lot easier than even with like a golf cart or anything like that. But when you're talking about you, you're doing that thing over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. And it's routine feeling for you. But the people who are there, that's probably their one week of vacation that they're there for that year. That's true. It almost seems like it would be. And Brent, I hate saying this. I think it almost be like being a roadie at some point, you know, if you're going on on tour with a band, no matter how much you like the band, when, when you're on show 22, you're probably tuning some of that stuff out that you were listening to at the beginning. So as an officer, how did you make sure that you weren't tuning out the things you know, with all the flashing lights and noise and giggles and you know, good smelling food? How, how did you how did you make sure that you were staying aware of what was going on to make sure that you were safe and that the public was safe.
2: I mean, we had to, we, we constantly would have to kind of have reminders in our roll call sessions and, and, and have little side conversations with each other. Just maybe, maybe like little pep talks at times, because what I will share with you is we don't work 40 hour weeks uh, because it's a busy resort town, because there's always people here. We were working 50, 60 hour weeks and, you know, complacency is where you get problems and When you're tired, you're just like, oh, I don't, I don't want anything to happen in front of me. I don't want to, but you have to stay alert. Uh, so we would kind of have to have these little pep talks with each other. Uh, maybe you even have to have them with yourself at times, uh, just to kind of encourage, Hey, look, don't let your guard down. And, And I agree with you that everybody that comes, I mean, like they spent a lot of money to come down for ocean city for, you know, maybe a weekend, maybe a week, uh, so it's incredibly expensive. And then when they come down to the boardwalk, maybe they only take one or two nights of that. So they they definitely want to have a pleasant experience. So there's a part of us that, you know, there, there's a there's certainly a part of me that was enforcement. And then there was also a part of me that was like Ocean City ambassador, <laughs> kind of like uh, being, being able to say, uh, you know, yes, here's where you can find this. Here's where you can find this. And the beach is right over there and, um, you know, all those kinds of things I have to admit I
1: misspoke. I said there's a lot of people doing these th- these things. And the truth of the matter is uh, the majority of the people where they're just there for a, a fun time, often with their families. Yes. And and, and and your your job is to make sure that they have a safe time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's dealing with the people that perhaps drink
0: too much or come down for nefarious reasons. Basically, you're Dalton in Roadhouse. That's what it amounts to. You know, you just gotta, you know.
2: <laughs> okay, all right, all
0: right. <laughs> on a bike, on a bike, on a in bike. In shorts, <laughs> with, with you know padded
1: stuff inside. That's all. Just going. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought up the work week thing because as much as you wanted to work on a bike, working fifty and sixty hour weeks, and incorporating the bike into that, that, that had to wear some on your
2: body. Oh, it sure did. My, uh, (laughs) it was about the, so we have special events and we have all different things that happen, especially, you know, Memorial day, a little before Memorial day. And then all through June, we have, uh, successions of senior weeks. Uh, so we'll have three or four of them a summer. And there gets to be a point where your fuse starts to get a little short because you don't have much rest uh, you know, you might be on your sixth day of six and maybe you're going to have one night off and then you're going to go back and you're going to do it again. Uh, I mean, listen, gr- it's, it's, it's great and all to get that amount of money, but your body is just not rested. And that, that's stuff that I learned like later on in my career, you know, I, I just thought that was what I was supposed to do that, you know, I'm, I'm just supposed to work my ass off. My, my wife used to call herself a summer widow. Because she wouldn't see me for the better part of two months—that from the middle of May till the middle of July—like uh, we she would sometimes like come into work just so we could see each other and just so we could have dinner, cause we're like ships in the night. But that's just the way it was, you know. And I—I I don't know that I knew any better. So that's just kind of how I went about it. It has to be incredibly hard.
1: I mean, as I said at the beginning of the show the previous 10 days I was on the road, nine of them. So that one day, uh, you know, I had to get everything done at the house that needed to, mm-hmm. I need to do laundry cause I had to repack and need to visit with my wife and my kids and, and needed to do work around the house. And it, it's, it can be hard on a family. It can yeah. be hard on a family, even if you're still coming home because it really, you're only coming home to shower and, and to get some food and, and to sleep. That has to be hard on a family life. And when it's hard on a family life, that can make it hard on the work life too.
2: Oh, hundred percent. And I, and I know people will always say, well, you can't bring your personal life to work and you should never bring your work life home. But the fact of the matter is they bleed both ways. Absolutely. We, we are not robots and you can't just leave, leave that stuff behind. Um, it's always going to go both ways. And I mean, I, I would bring home the work stuff pretty, pretty constantly. <laughs> My wife and I, so we didn't have kids. So we didn't, we never had the kind of like the the co-parenting part the that component of trying to watch them while working shift work and stuff like that but she always i mean she like had a normal people job so she worked like eight to five monday through friday and everybody else that i knew at that point we all worked shift work we all worked like an evening shift or a midnight shift or they worked in the bars and I, i mean amy was the only one that worked like a normal human being and the rest of us were just, you know, whatever. So she was always like, oh, we're going to go out on a Tuesday night. Yeah, because that's the weekend for us. <laughs> that's prime
1: time right there. That's when I can get away from the job. But but, but you know what, though? Uh, some people would say that, that not having kids made it easier, but I would propose that at least for her, it made it more difficult because yeah. it can get incredibly lonely when, you know, all of her friends – Uh, their their spouses, their significant others are with them. Right. And and you're, you're out, you're out working, you're, you're doing what you do for just for extended hours and at goofy hours of the day. And she
2: kept herself busy for sure. She always has had hobbies. She's always had a a very good friend group. Uh, and some of those are police related. Some of those are not. So yeah, she, she actually made her mind up at very early in my career. She's like, I'm not going to worry about you overnight. Uh, I just can't because I, I need to make my peace with the fact that you'll take care of yourself and you've got a bunch of friends that work with you. That'll take care of you too. Cause otherwise she was going to worry herself sick and never sleep.
1: That, that's a great outlook right there. And, and you know, that that's the kind of stuff that really should be taught to family members in, in our police academy. Yeah, I agree. So that fa- family members coming into the, uh, coming into the business, the family business, that they know that there are coping mechanisms for it. Brent talked about, uh, some back injuries you had. What, what can you share with us about those and
2: how they impacted you? So I hurt my back twice, and when I say hurt it, I ripped the bottom two discs in my spine. So L four, L five, L five, S one, and I did it twice, almost a year to the day. Once in October of '08, once in October of '09. Um, not work related, either one of them. Uh, well, so, so there's maybe, no good maybe. stories. <laughs> Well, so here's the one. So the, the one that I really get hurt on in 2008, I am playing flag football, um, on our, on our FOP flag football team and I am chasing somebody down and I thought I tore my hamstring. That's how bad it hurt in the back of my leg. And I sat on the sideline for a little while and it turns out, uh, by the next middle of the next day, I couldn't sit up cause it, it, it just the pain had, had gotten so bad. Um, My back is so bad at that point that I can't stand for more than like 10 seconds Uh, to the point where I was living on my living room floor on a futon mattress that we put out there. The uh, I will tell you that the best thing that came out of that injury was I watched the wire from beginning to end (laughs) and I did it pretty quickly because I didn't have anything else to do, Um, but I so I was I. I didn't want to have surgery i mean i was like in my early 30s at that point and and what everybody always said is nobody has one back injury and nobody has one back surgery so once you have them you're going to start having them all the time so it takes me the better part of four months until i can get even back to a light duty i think i had i think i was on restricted duty then for like another six months till they'd let me wear a belt again uh so it took almost a year to come back and two months later i do it again now, this time I had surgery and the surgery happened the day before Thanksgiving in 2009. And it was crazy because right after the surgery, I could sit up and I was like, this doesn't seem right. <laughs> uh, but I was fortunate that time that taught me a lot of interesting things. It sucks to be hurt. There's one. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it's pretty lonely at times because you're kind of out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, I'd have, I had a couple friends that would stop by. I had one friend in particular that would bring over munchkins and coffee. And we would do that at least once a week.
0: I had surgery before. I know what you're talking about. I had surgery before, and I would lay in bed. My wife and my son would leave for the day. And it felt like I wasn't a part of normal life anymore because I was home rehabbing.
2: My, my wife would, so she would, like anything that I was going to eat or drink, she would try to put it in one spot um, and just be like, what do you want to do today? And she would try to make it where I don't have to go very far to get it. And to be honest, I didn't want to eat or drink anything because if I did, then I'd have to go to the bathroom and I'd have to move to get there. And I didn't want to move because it was I mean, I was in that kind of pain to the point where they were doing like steroid injections, you know, just trying to get me back. The surgery helped tremendously. Uh, And then I have I have gone to a chiropractor ever since. Uh, And I, I mean, like, this is still what, 15 years later. I go every two weeks. I just went this morning and it's maintenance because I want to keep everything in check. Well, you know, uh, it's funny how one's perspective
1: changes throughout the course of our life, Mm -hmm. Uh, because uh, as I have gotten older, some might say old. I was with my my 12 year old at football practice and uh, we we share a field with one of the other teams and the field was wet because it rained. And I watch his coach on the other team and he's returning kicks there they're practicing special teams and all i could think to myself was that's how old men get hurt right there they they try, they, they 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 try running and doing things There's a cutoff they, 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 you know their, their mind thinks their mind thinks that they're 25 and all i could think it had nothing to do with the play that's how old guys get hurt and, and so I, I would imagine then that that it had to be somewhat the same for you once you get back to work after you've had your surgery. Hey, you know what? It's happened to me twice now. And and people always say you never have just one injury and you never have just one surgery. How did that start to impact the way that you looked at the job and the way you did the job?
2: So I I will say that, uh, you know, I didn't I wasn't ready to come back until to the point where I didn't think about it anymore. Uh, But I will tell you that I felt like I had really good PT people that were putting me through different paces where so i mean i played football for a lot of years of my life all through high school all through college and uh i mean i've had like a handful of uh you know minor injuries nothing like what i had when i got into the police world and that was always the thing that our athletic trainers would would kind of work with they 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 don't want you to think about it and they want you to move as if it never happened and that's kind of where i would get with my back uh every once in a while i would feel a little like twinge and I mean, I would like get all hot and sweaty and be like, "Oh my god, it's happening again." But <laughs> I, I I feel like I, I also had the tools to try to keep it in place now. Yeah, and I and I and I just I take a little bit better care of my body. Uh, I didn't realize pr- that probably all of those years of football <laughs> probably had an impact on me, and all of those years of law enforcement wearing a duty belt, uh, where you know wearing wearing that vest tackling people you know, I was never good to myself. I was never good on my body. So, uh, I am certainly more aware of that, uh, as I moved to the middle part of my career and late into my career. So, so you made some changes in post-surgery yeah. to try and prevent that thing from happening again. So I was big when I was playing football, I was 330 pounds when I left college. I was an offensive lineman. There was a point that. Uh, My friend, Brett Case, the guy I was talking about before, he gets into running. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to get running too. And we both had done the Atkins diet at that point. So we were eating like bacon and eggs like all the time. We both got like super skinny. I was at a point, I was down to like 210 pounds, but I could run forever. So we would run like three and five miles at a clip. And then I had this goal. I was like, you know what? As a former offensive lineman, I'm going to run a half marathon (laughs) because I don't know why. But uh, so I did that in 2004. I ran the Baltimore half marathon. Uh, but listen, once I rip my back up twice, I don't run anymore. I can't, you know, I, I, I used to play basketball on a pretty regular basis. I used to play like that, that uh, flag football, uh, my wife all but forbid me at that point from playing any more like <laughs> rec
1: team stuff. I heard uh, Gordon Graham uh, speak a few months ago, Gordon Graham's uh, famous law enforcement speaker on risk management. And, and you know, he's an older guy, retired CHP and he gets up there. He goes, I got one thing to say to you. F running. <laughs> that's right. That's what I said. F running. He goes, you know, it, it does positive things for you right now, but the long-term issues that it creates, yeah. uh, your joints and your back and everything, it goes it's just not worth it. There are better alternatives. And, and yet we, we look in police academies and what's the primary. Cardio. Everybody's got to run them all the Yeah. And, and, and it's Everybody. done every day, you know, and it's done. We, we have things like right. that right there. We have medical studies that have shown the long term problems that regular wear of the duty belt can do uh, to our people. Yet we continue doing it. And it's like it does. If there are other ways to, why don't we
2: change so our people are healthier longer? I agree with you. And it's it's funny you say that. So like twelve years ago, I was on our joint labor management team and I brought up one of the first things, because I had hurt my back, you could only wear suspenders at that time if you had already hurt your back. And I'm like, why are why are we doing this as an afterthought? Why do you have to get hurt first? Why can't we do something that's preventative? And they were like, you know what? I like it. And then (laughs) and then I guess I went crazy because I was like, what about outer vests. And they were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, it's like he asked for their first born. S- so listen, fast forward. And, 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 and honestly, the, the, the answer that was given to me is no, no, we're a resort town. We can't look like that. Oh, okay. So you're worried about the image and not the people that you have working for you for 25 years. Super. Thanks. <laughs> so as of this year, all of our cops are in outer vests. Nice. So it only took 11 years
1: with your football background uh you, you know when you look at offensive linemen today nearly every one of them are wearing these knee braces and, yeah, and, yeah. and, and they do that not because most of them have had the injuries but because
2: they're trying to prevent the injuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of it's preventative. Yeah, yeah and you, but they don't want them they don't want them to cr- the they don't want them to come sideways and crack each other's knees. Exactly. So but but you couldn't
1: wear suspenders until you'd already been hurt, which made you more mm-hmm. susceptible to get, getting hurt in the future. How, how much could we have prevented if we would have had just that little change? Right. Tell tell me about how it is that you Ended up leaving law enforcement. How you retired? Sure. Because as I understand it, you weren't ready
2: for it. It was it wasn't planned. No, that's right. That's right. So in late 2016, um, I was actually riding my police bike uh, during a special event weekend, and I unfortunately hit a like a crack in the sidewalk, and I flew over the handlebars, and I whacked my knee on the concrete. What that did is it tore my patella tendon, which I didn't know at the time. And I, I just thought I just had like a bump, you know, and a little bit of road rash. And I, so I got back up and I, I just kept on working. Uh, and I made it like another two hours and then my leg locked and I was like, uh Oh, so I did something bad. Fast forward. I go to the emergency room that night. Uh, I end up having reconstructive surgery on my knee about three weeks later. And the lasting thing that happened as a result of the And they're not sure if it's from the impact of the fall, they're not sure if it's from the surgery or the rehab or the immobilizer, but for whatever reason, I have nerve damage in my perennial nerve, in my knee, that'll never go away. And what that does is it makes my left foot burn all the time. And if I try to wear socks or shoes or anything compressive over my left foot, it just, it exacerbates it and it starts to pound and throb. So it's actually easier for me to be in like bare feet or flip flops, which I guess as ocean city cops, we could probably be in flip-flops, you know, cause we're beach cops. But, uh, unfortunately, no, that, that, that wasn't working out for me. So, so about three years later, my workers comp claim ends and the police department and the town didn't really know what to do with me at that point. Uh, and they, I just kind of sat in this limbo for the better part of three more years. So it was last summer, that our new city manager, his name is Terry McGeehan, came up with a suggestion because I had proposed that I buy out my last three years and I just retire now. And he said, I would like to make you a dispatcher. I want to keep you in the pension system. I don't want to lose you as a city employee. And I mean, that that was nice to hear for sure. And I have like started a whole nother life uh so i'm i'm still as part of my my public safety career for the town of ocean city i just happen to go and be a police and fire dispatcher so i've been there for about a year uh, just past my year mark and i've been doing a lot of police dispatching i am new to fire dispatching so i've just been doing that over the last month so just just trying to learn everything so i can do anything in the room that if if somebody calls out if somebody's sick that I can, I can jump in and I can do anything. We had a recent episode where we talked about how
1: people often struggle making a transition from their dream job, their career uh, into some other job, whether it be civilian side or whatever. And it's difficult enough to make that transition when you're planning for it. And this happens a lot in our profession when people are forced to transition because of injuries or or that type thing that can play havoc on people's minds. I agree. Listen, I came, I came into this right here to be the police. You know, there, there have to be times where you sit there and say, man, this, this right here, this is good, but this isn't what I signed up for. You know, this isn't what, this isn't what I saw myself doing 22 years out.
2: There's, there's a, there's an interesting point here. And what I want to share is I talked about the amount of hours that I was working. And in the later part of my career, the way I finished my police career was as our uh, polygraph examiner. I was our first one. I was the one that built our program. I had an incredible amount of work to do. And it was mainly applicant work. I was working those 60 hour weeks, not just in the summertime anymore. I was doing it in the winter and then through the spring. And then I would still go back to patrol and I'd still work it. So I was doing it like eight or nine months a year. So interestingly enough, in June of 2016, I come home on like a Sunday morning. We I just worked all night and I said to my wife, I don't think I can do this anymore. I just, I've, I've just about had it. And at that point, you know, you had the working hours, the attitude about police had dramatically changed. Freddie Gray had happened in Baltimore city, like a year prior to that. I didn't have the best relationship with my supervisor at the time. And I was drinking uh, an awful lot, um, just to try to cope with that. So be careful what you wish for, because in June of 2016, I wanted to leave the Ocean City Police. And in October of 16, you know, something bad happened. Now it takes a couple years beyond that until I actually realize it. But again, be careful what you wish for, because I did leave. It just took me five years to or six years to do it. Go back real quick, just so people have an understanding. Sure.
1: Uh, polygraph examiner. That's that's just the yeah. basic school on that. It's incredibly intensive and long, isn't it?
2: Yep. 12 weeks. So I went to, I went to school for 12 weeks on an army base in the middle of Pennsylvania. Uh, and I mean, it's the hardest school I ever went to. And we were we were so terrified that we weren't going to pass our first test. Uh, and, and by pass, you had to get an 80 percent or better. And I mean, like we didn't sleep. And I think the first test was 10 days in. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I can't fail this test. I cannot go back to Ocean City with my tail tucked between my legs. They were going to laugh me out of the room. <laughs> so it's like this. Thank God I passed. Right. But my whole point with that, that, there was a lot of
1: personal and professional investment in, in that right there. But yet you still you oh, but, but still you reach that point is like, listen, I just I can't perform like this
2: anymore because of the impact it's having on me. And what I didn't, what I didn't mention to you, I, you know, I told you some of the other things that were going on, but so what I didn't know getting into polygraph, you know, everybody, everybody has seen stuff on, uh, you know, TV and, you know, there's the great big detective that's banging on the, on the desk and shines the bright light into somebody's face. Tell me the truth. Well, that's not really how it goes, folks. Um, (laughs) anyway, so what I didn't, what I didn't know is I didn't know how many times Uh, A, my polygraph test was turned into a therapy session where somebody would end up telling me something that they had never told anybody else, like something had happened to them at some point in their life. And it, I mean, some pretty awful things. And then I didn't realize how many people would voluntarily tell me some of the bad things that they did and against their family, against you know people in the neighborhood, stuff like that. That's the stuff that started affected me listen, everybody has a funny story about a dog and a, and a, jar of peanut butter. Fine. But, and we can laugh and things like that, but the, the, the stuff that people were doing to like their own family or the things that they were doing to people or the things that were being done to them. I mean, that stuff started to internalize on me. I mean, that, that really started to bubble up in me. There's both a blessing and a curse to a
1: pension, you know, because you've got, you've got this, this, this year mark that you need to reach in order to get to, to draw it. That's right. And, and, and that's a goal, but, but it also can kind of seem like a prison when I'm not there yet, but I
2: recognize that I need a change. That's exactly what I've called it before is like a, is it's almost like a prison sentence where you're, where you actually look at a calendar every day and you mark an X across the day. And this is a job that you were dying to get. You oh know yeah. What I mean, and then you get to this, then you get to this maybe 10 or 15 year mark and you're like, Well, I can't leave now because I'd be stupid. And you're just like, you know, I don't want to be here. I'm not sure
1: how I'm going to be able to stay. So what do you do? Yeah. so so Brent and I actually had this uh, this discussion before uh, as it relates to our our kids. You know, it's such a dangerous thing to be looking for. Man, I can't wait till Friday. You know, I can't I can't wait until Mm -hmm. the end of the week. I can't wait until summer break. But but then you waste all those days in between and, and they're gone. Right. And I don't know, yeah. man, it just, it's so hard, but, but you got all this stuff going on. It, at what point
2: does yoga come in, uh, to the picture? Okay. So I told you a little bit about what was going on in my life in like 2016. Uh, and then I get hurt. Uh, so at the conclusion of, of kind of like my injury wrapping up, uh, but I know I'm not going to be a cop anymore, but nobody seems to know what to do with me. Uh, my life kind of started to spiral out of control because I felt like at that point, um, like I had lost my purpose and I mean, my drinking got, I mean, absolutely out of control. I mean, nobody knew, uh, I mean, my wife knew just cause she would see me passed out on the couch, but, uh, nobody at work knew. Like I wasn't missing deadlines. I wasn't missing, um, any work days or anything like that. Uh, I didn't smell like a brewery or anything like that when I was going to work. There's a point that she uh, confronts me and uh, that's, that happened in November of 2019 after a, I had tried to quit drinking a couple times and I'd make it like a week or I'd make it like four weeks. This had actually been the longest I had stopped. I had stopped for six weeks and we were having a staycation with some of our friends and I thought, Hey, you know, I can just have a couple drinks. Well, it turns out I can't. Uh, and I mean, blackout drunk, two straight nights, uh, my wife, this, this is the first and only time she ever did this. She actually was taking videos of me and, uh, and some of the, you know, uh, silly antics I was doing, which was like a private dance party, uh, and, and swimming. Yeah. I mean, I laugh about it now, but when she, when she confronts me now the next morning and she's like, we got to talk about this. And I mean, I was so deeply embarrassed. I'm like, I don't ever want to have this conversation again. I don't, I don't want to feel like this. And, it, and, and funny enough, um, something I'd never thought about, it was maybe, you know, uh, up until a year ago, somebody said, man, she really took a risk. Cause what if you went the other way? And what if you were like, I don't have a drinking problem. You know, I can't believe you'd even say this to me. Uh, I mean, I certainly respect your opinion. We've been together for more than 20 years. We'll have our 20, 20-year anniversary in April. So I don't want to have that conversation anymore. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to drink today. And then I'm not going to drink tomorrow. And, and it actually started to become a game to me. Like, all right, how long can I go? And people would ask me, you think you're going to drink again? And just just because I didn't know what to say, I would be like, maybe. <laughs> um, so it's not for probably two years that I'm actually comfortable talking about it. Uh, and at this point, so... In November, it'll be four years
0: uh, since I've had a drink.
2: And uh, thanks. And so what's nice now, because I I didn't do the traditional AA route. I just kind of white knuckled it at times and was just like, I'm just not going to drink. I'm just not going to drink. And I just, I wouldn't be in a bar. I wouldn't be around it.
0: But you bring up a good point because it sounds like you were able to do your job while drinking. And I would assume there's a number oh. of people out there that are functional alcoholics that are able to get their, their jobs done, but they're, they're killing themselves. So. Oh, hundred
2: percent, hundred percent. And what I'll, and what I'll share with you is, listen, when I look back on it, I had a drinking problem long before 2016. I did not drink a healthy amount. Like I couldn't get enough. Now it always made the night fun but there gets to be a point and this is, this is where it became started to get like borderline dangerous is 2018, 2019 like I'm taking some pretty high powered uh, medication because of being hurt and stuff like that. And I'm still drinking that way uh, and still to the point of like blacking out a couple days a week. Um, so yeah, no, no, no good was coming of that. Okay. So you asked about yoga. So here goes. <laughs> Um, within a couple of days of that, I actually go to my first ever studio yoga class and I had never been in a studio before I had done it, uh, as part of rehab. And if you're familiar with the P90X series, that was the first yoga I ever did. And oh my God, if, if you've done that, it is not relaxing. It is not Zen-like in any way, shape or form. It is a brutal workout for 90 minutes. Anyway. So I thought that I couldn't go to a yoga studio. I am a former football player, former cop. I'm six foot four, and I'm 270 pounds. All I'm going to say is I stand out when I go to a yoga studio now. Uh,
0: so- Yoga pants alone. I go.
2: Uh, so, right. But I mean, I, listen, I got nice legs, so enjoy the show. Oh, man. <laughs> um, anyway, so I go to my first one and I'm like, this is incredible. And it's within 30 days that I come home and I tell my wife, I'm like, I'm going to teach this to cops and to firefighters and military, like people like me, because I'm not going to get them to come with me to go to a yoga studio. So I have to come to them. So that means I got to learn how to do it.
0: Okay. I'm going to stop you right there. I want to stop you right there because I I hear people say, it's great. Tell me why it's great. So people listening, including myself, can understand what the draw is because I want to, to understand. I really do.
2: Okay. All right. So here goes, I can give you uh, a couple different things. All right. I'm going to start with the physical stuff. Physically, it's going to make you stronger. It's going to make you more mobile, more flexible. Now I'm going to talk to you about the mental benefits. This is, this is the life-changing thing to me. It allowed me to get rid of all these negative emotions that I'd been carrying around, all of these feelings that I had, all of this stuff of self-doubt, all of these, you know, I was really beating myself up at the time. It allowed me to start being able to get rid of that. It allows you to start living in your present moment. So a lot of our problems are because we're living from the neck up. It's because we, we keep worrying about things that happened 10 minutes ago, 10 weeks ago, 10 months ago, 10 years ago, or... You go the other way and you worry about shit that maybe never happens ever in your life. Maybe a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. Look, all that becomes important in the practice of yoga is right here, right now on that mat. And it's very hard to let your mind start to drift away when you move through some challenging poses. Now, the power of your breath is really where it comes in. Your breath is the bridge between your body and mind. The reason that we live in the past and and try to live out into the future and don't live in the present moment is because you're all wrapped up in your own mind. Using your breath, bringing yourself back into your body, noticing how you feel, noticing where you're carrying tension, deliberately breathing, and using this purposeful movement, it starts to allow you to get out of your head and get back into your body. That's the magic. Now, to be fair, Listen, a yoga class is wonderful, okay? (laughs) Especially if I teach it, just (laughs) saying. (laughs) But where the real magic happens is when you take that, when you're in some pose that maybe I'm twisting you up like a pretzel and I'm asking you to use your breath and I'm asking you to maybe lean into that discomfort. It's when you take that mindset and you take it off your mat. And the next time that you're in the source of a conflict or you're in the source of something that feels like you're stressing out, that you start to use your breath to be able to down regulate your central nervous system, to be able to use your breath, to slow your heart rate down, to slow your brain down, because that's when you're going to make good decisions. You're not going to make good decisions when you are in your sympathetic nervous system constantly. And that's, that's the problem. When you're so amped up all the time, When you have a fuse that's like an inch, you can't make good decisions and you're going to be constantly reactive. So yoga calms all that down by tapping into your parasympathetic nervous system.
0: All right. So people are listening right now and they're saying, yeah, but yeah, but. How can you combat the? Yeah, but I'm too old. Yeah, but I'm uh, out of shape. Yeah, but uh, I I won't learn it properly. How do you combat okay. that? Because I know that's what sure. they're saying. Well, I'm saying right, saying, right because now my because, head. All
2: right. So the, the 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 practice of yoga is so beautiful because it will meet you wherever you are, and maybe maybe you listen. Everybody says, "Well, I can't touch my toes, so I can't do yoga." I don't need you to touch your toes. And maybe you reach towards your toes, and you know, may, listen. Maybe in a couple of weeks. Maybe you touch like your pointer toe down to your to your uh, big toe for the first time, and you get really excited about it. Listen, there's all kinds of ways that we can do this from a chair. There's all kinds of ways that we can do this if you're missing a limb. Yoga will meet you where you are. Uh, it's all about breath work. It's all about a little bit of um, deliberate, intentional movement, um, and it's really, really good for your head. Well, it, it seems to me
1: that that yoga, that that perhaps, and you just use the word that one of the best words to describe it is intentional. And that's one of my favorite mm-hmm. words. I mean, it's intentional breathing and intentional thoughts and, and, and intentional movement. And, and, but I, I will kind of echo a little bit what uh, Brent said. So what would you say to somebody like me who is considered taking it up, uh, but is scared about going in there and looking like an idiot? Cause I don't know the phrases and words and stuff they're saying.
2: Okay. Well, so if you want to, and I offer this to anybody, uh, I would be happy to teach you like through zoom, uh, for your first class, just so I can break down some postures for you and tell you what to understand now. So most yoga teachers are taught pose names in Sanskrit. (laughs) I don't use a lot of Sanskrit because I don't wanna lose you. (laughs) I will use probably the English translation of it, but I actually go one step farther than that. Um, I don't just call pose names. What I like to do is, is I'll tell you to look at your foot and I'll want you to turn your right foot towards the top of the mat. I want you to bend your right knee a lot. And then, you know, once I get you there, okay, this pose is called, and then get you to really learn it. What I've found, and I didn't, this was not my intention, uh, when I got into this was I just kind of fallen into teaching a lot of beginners. I like to be people's like first time because I know if you take a class with me, you'll come back because I'm not going to lose you. Uh, and I play music that you're going to recognize. You might even start singing along because God knows I do sometimes. <laughs> um, but it's all about, it's, it's not about standing on your head. It's about some breath, a little bit of movement and a lot of mindfulness. That's, that's really the, that's really where I'm going to go with it. Um, you know, for anybody that's listening, if you find maybe just a regular yoga studio that has a beginner class, there's your ego. I don't. So my first ever studio class was in a hot yoga studio, which I loved, but I am a sweater. So I was a puddle at the end of that class. I mean, I love it, but I don't know that everybody else is going to want to be, do yoga in a 90 to 100 degree room.
0: Please tell me you play uh, Bend Me, Shape Me, Any Way You Want Me by American Breed on the playlist well, somewhere.
2: All right. Well, I'm hearing a request here. So that okay. means in your first class, we're definitely using that. One. I just made a, I just made a new playlist last night. It's all like It's all like 70s funk music. And I don't know. I just kind of felt right. As we're wrapping things up here, I, I, when I was
1: getting a few, this was a few years ago, when I was getting ready to turn 50, uh, I told my wife, I said, hey, uh, I feel like as I'm reaching this stage of my life, I need to expand who I am and what I am. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I've come up with some things that really are outside my comfort zone that I'm considering because I, I want to continue growing. And she goes, all right, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, number one, uh, I was thinking about uh, learning how to play the guitar. And uh, I said, I was also thinking about uh, getting a body piercing and uh, I was also thinking about maybe getting a tattoo, uh, but I was also thinking about maybe taking up yoga. And she goes, okay, the body piercings out. I said, oh, thank goodness. I said, because, you know, it's just like, you know, if you have a multiple choice (laughs) test, there's always a throwaway answer and you got it right off the bat. So we're good. And, And she goes, I'm not so sure about the yoga. And I said, you know what? I'm kind of kind of doubtful about that, too, because I don't think I could pull off the yoga pants. I'm I'm not built for yoga pants. And and she goes, I think you should learn to play the guitar. And I said, well, that good. That's a twofer. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, you can't play the guitar without a a tattoo. So I get both of those things right Mm -hmm. there. But but in all seriousness, at this stage of my life, one of the things that I'm concerned about, because of all of the physical trauma and the mental trauma from our career, I think that being more flexible and being more mobile would be good for a man my age. And and then you add in the whole mindfulness piece. It seems like now that I've reached the stage where I have reached the pension that I want to enjoy it for as long as possible. And it seems like that this would be a good tool for anybody, but especially those that have been in law enforcement to ensure their their health and mental
2: well-being long after their career's over? So there were some some studies that were done. And I remember when I went through my supervisor school and that was in 2012, um, we decided, my group decided we were going to do something with wellness. Uh, and this is, this is before like officer wellness was really like a, a buzzword or anything like that. And the most disturbing thing that I saw in that, that I, I still just can't forget is like the average police officer lives five years after retiring. Can you fathom? I mean, spending twenty five years devoting your life, pouring your blood, sweat, and tears into your agency. And what do you get? Five years. That sucks. You know, I I I really want people to thrive in their retirement. Listen, you you worked your ass off. So I want you I, I heard somebody say this once and I love it. I want you to bankrupt your municipality. I want I you that. to live so long into your into your pension that they are like. Why? I mean, like, we still got to keep paying this yeah. guy. I want him to change the rules stuff, so. because I'm so
1: long into it. You know <laughs> what I mean? I'm sorry about the people for yeah. future generations, but I want there to be a Michael rule. But, 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 I also, mm. I, 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 I think there's a big importance uh, in recognizing there's a difference between surviving and you do the word you just used was thriving in, in our retirement yeah. years. And it seems like that, that yoga. Is helping you to thrive after two back injuries, uh, after a knee injury that uh, turned into a, a nerve injury, a career change. It seems like you're thriving with what you have. And this is one of the big pieces that's helping you do it.
2: If I don't find this, I'm not sure where I would be. Yeah, I mean, certainly drinking, uh, you know, was was a, was a big part of it. But this, this I mean, like I am, if you can't tell, I'm uh, incredibly passionate about this and, and my wife would tell you and pretty much anybody that knows me well, I don't do anything a little bit. So, I mean, like I'm all in on this and I I, I want to teach this to law enforcement officers. I wanna teach it to firefighters, military. You know, the, 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 the underlying current of this, the reason why it becomes so important to me is because of the suicide rates yep. in first responders, in the military. And I mean, they're especially bad in law enforcement they're especially bad with military folks um and that's why you know i i like to use the practice of yoga to and 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 maybe people don't totally understand that correlation but uh when you start to kind of get out of your head um and you start to try something that's maybe a little out of your comfort zone now mike the the way you change the in anything is that you have to do something that you're uncomfortable with that's the only way we're going to grow if you keep doing the same thing if you keep staying comfortable you're never going to grow, so uh, you know it, you should sign up for that yoga class like this stagnant. weekend. Stagnant. <laughs> that, that,
1: that's what I. That's what I worry yeah. about becoming. I worry about my mind becoming stagnant. I worry about my body becoming stagnant, and that stagnant's not a good word to to team up with uh, retirement life. You know what I mean? That's right. That's right. So
2: now is the time for you to. Th- this is the way I describe it: is you should do the stuff that lights you up. Yeah. Like The stuff that right now, the 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 when you're like when you talk about it, like you, you're you gonna go learn the guitar, like it lights your heart up and you just start to smile. And you're like, oh my god, I can't wait to play Led Zeppelin Stairway to Heaven.
1: Yeah,
2: I don't know, I don't know why that was the first thing that came to mind. Like I, had the flash of, I, I had the flash of like Wayne's World, uh, from the 90s, no stairways. Yeah. <laughs> But if people wanted to
1: find out more about the stuff that you do, what, what, how, how can they find out more about that? easiest
2: easiest way is through my website, and that is uh, rescuecom and that's got all my contact info. That's got all my contact info. It's got my phone number. That you know, it's got my email. It's the, and you can directly you can directly contact me through the website. Uh, I am on Facebook. Uh, I am on Instagram and, and what I'll do is if it's okay with you guys, I'll send all that to absolutely. you and then you can maybe po- post it with the episode yep. notes or something yep. Ab- like that. Absolutely. It'll be right there
0: in the show notes so folks can find you. Yeah,
1: it, because, it, you know, I, I would be willing to bet that there's a lot of people out there that are like Brent and I that, that are interested, but we're, we're perhaps more apprehensive that it doesn't outweigh the interest. Yeah, And so it seems like you would be a good person
2: to talk to. I got to tell you that, The the next thing that I really have on my plate to do is uh, I want to start making some short videos and put them on a YouTube channel that uh, Mm -hmm. like because we don't live around each other. So it's not like you're going to come to the studio and practice with me. I mean, we can certainly do something through Zoom or something like that if you guys want. But I want to make like more
0: accessible and maybe 10 or
2: 15 minute videos right for everybody else. I'm not going to make 60. I mean, I'll make a 60 minute, but most times people are going to be like, I don't have an hour. So if I, if I just make 10 or 15 minute videos, then uh, I can share that with other people and they can kind of maybe see, cause I think that's part of it. I, I try to share stuff on my Instagram that is like, look, this is, this is the kind of stuff that I'm doing. This is, these are the kind of poses and, and stuff like that. I try to break stuff down j- just to show people, because I think people get in their head and they're like, this is what I think it's going to be. And it's it's not is 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 my point. Like I'm not going to bang a tambourine. I don't wear robes, and I don't you know chant om for an hour. There's no incense or anything like that. Involved. Right. Yeah. No. No. It's I I I, I try to keep the hippy dippy stuff to a minimum. I'm just gonna say uh, roll call
1: yoga. That, that that should be okay. that should be your video series right there. You know, that 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 10 to 15 minute deal right there that they could do at a roll call or on somebody's lunch. Mm-hmm. You and I, we can talk trademark yep. later. But anyway, <laughs> okay. uh, All right. I think that, that that that's a great idea. Fantastic idea. Hey, man, we appreciate you taking time to be here uh, today. And thanks for reaching out to us. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it was good. Uh, good talking with you again. Awesome. And thanks uh, for having hey, me. Hey, Brent, Seriously. I, I, I'm intrigued, man. Because I'm serious, I I think that I would be much better off all around if I had something like this to to help
0: me along. It's like anything that you don't know about. You know, it's like that initial, you just got to try it. Once you try it, you become invested. And I have to say, Vance was very open, transparent. And I think that lends itself to people buying into what he's talking about. And he's being very genuine and honest. So I hope people that are listening that maybe came in this episode thinking ah, yoga is just for, you know, this bunch that they really hear his story and they say, no, maybe this can help me. So seriously, go to the episode page, find out more information about him and do the thing. Don't just talk about it. Do it.
1: Absolutely. And just throwing a couple things yeah. out there, uh, we, we can talk about tactical yoga. We can talk about trademarking that because people are more willing to do that and okay, maybe maybe some uh, yoga pants with Molly. Attachments to it, just don't. Or, uh, uh, so oh, okay, Man, this, this is an idea factory, yeah. Brett. Yes, just it saying, is, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you for uh telling us in your words why it's been so beneficial because I think people really do need to hear that kind of thing. I agree, thank you. I appreciate you guys. Thanks.